Hello everyone, uh, my name is Ben. And my name is Zane. And welcome to the Cast for a very special bootlegged segment. This is a uh, semi-regular segment that we do here on the Cast, where we watch old cartoons, where we watch old animated movies. Yes, and this is this is our first animated anime movie. Yes. <laughs> um, we, we didn't, much in the same way that we don't want to neglect uh, anime in our podcast, in our cartoon dissection, neither does our bootleg segment want to neglect all of Japanese anime films. So, today we are looking at a Lupin the Third movie, specifically The Mystery of Mamo. Yes, The Mystery of Mamo, and it's, um... It's a neat one to look at. It's historically significant in terms of anime. It's um, the first movie put out by TMS Entertainment. Uh, first feature-length production before it was called that. Too much. Um, the next stuff. Entertainment. <laughs> the next movie in the series that they did was uh, another Lupin, Castle of Cagliostro, which was directed by Miyazaki. So this. The Mystery of Mamo is important because it started, you know, this great production company. It, The next movie started Miyazaki, one of the greatest anime directors of all time. Um, but it's also a good movie in its own right, and it's gotten several different English dubs as a result of that. So it's, it's going to be a weird one to talk about because you may have watched a Lupin the Third Mystery of Mamo movie, and it might have been <laughs> might have been different one in a lot of ways. Five different versions, <laughs> right? So and, there's uh, yeah, four English and, dubs spanning from like the seventies to two thousand and three. You know, the fact that there are that many different reincarnations of the same movie speaks to both the quality of the movie, I think, and also to the and more more so probably to the establishment of the franchise itself. Like, yeah, uh, Lu- Lupin the Third. <laughs> Like, the, the history goes back way farther than this. Um, yeah, it so, started out as a manga created by a manga author known as Monkey Punch. <laughs> <laughs> in, back in, what was it, like the 50s, right? Uh, 67, I believe. 67, that's um, right. And he had some animated series before this movie came out. And that's part of why the title is so confusing, because originally it, the movie's title was just Lupin the Third. Yeah. But that's that's a broad term. <laughs> um, the fans actually started calling it the mystery or the secret of Mamo after the uh, uh, main antagonist. Um, the official title in Japan was later uh, Lupin the Third, Lupin and the Clone. It we're watching the mystery of Mamo. <laughs> yes, uh, mystery of Mamo. Um, we, we had watched. Uh, I I believe you said that you had watched the Genian dub. Yeah, so the 2003 dub, it's um, it has the same voices as the animated series does. Um, and, and I think it's at to the be, same voices as the Castle of Cagliostro as well, so it's just what I was more familiar with. In all honesty, the uh, Castle of Cagliostro, the movie um, uh, succeeding this one, is uh, the only familiarity that I had previously to Lupin the Third. And it's considered probably the best movie of them. Yeah. I, like, I remember actually trying to watch this the mystery of mamo a while back and it not kind of sitting right like i mm-hmm. couldn't get through it um, yeah i think because i was expecting the castle of Cagliostro. but <laughs> an interesting thing is when you have this franchise that's been running for so long there's a bunch of different incarnations of the same characters and that's why i'm very relieved that it was the same lupon voice as yeah. from the castle of Cagliostro, because this could not have worked with a different voice actor it had to be this yeah <laughs> and it's like 
fans are split on what they like in Lupin. Apparently, like there's a red jacket Lupin <laughs> who like we had that that we got. Yeah, in there's this a movie. red jacket and a yellow jacket, right? <laughs> like, and the yellow jacket through- is just like an enormous ponce. This character has been through many through so many iterations. Like, I, I'm sure the fan base is split, but we can all agree that the movies in general are good, and this movie is mostly good. I would say mostly good. Um, there are a few huge sticking points, and uh, I think that there's some pacing issues that don't really that that don't let it put its best foot forward. The third act got kind of ahead of itself. The third act got kind of 2001: A Space Odyssey. That's what for I me. was feeling. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. To talk about kind of what you generally deal with in a Lupin movie, um, it's sort of equal parts James Bond and Three Stooges. <laughs> Well, the character was based on Arsene Lupin, a uh, French gentleman thief who was kind of like Sherlock Holmes, but with a bit of James Bond mixed in. And there was actually a crossover in the original Lupin with Sherlock Holmes, or rather, Herlock Sholmes, because, you know, copyright. Sounds fine. Um, so the modern... Gentleman thief, I love that phrase. It's nice. So the it's... modern crossover, um, there's like crossover movies between Lupin the Third and Detective Conan, those aren't as weird as I thought, because he has history with Sherlock Holmes. Sure, yeah, the, the, there's everything in the world tying a little boy trying to get his body back to a lecherous womanizer yep. with a gun. <laughs> and um, <laughs> this is a comedic take on that sort of idea, on the gentleman thief idea. A, a lot it's of it is a silly. deconstruction of the spy genre. Like, a lot of this is sort of a loving homage with the tongue-in-cheek attitude to James Bond in in more ways than one because we all know James Bond has had you know umpteen thousand incarnations um, with several different actors and the quality of those movies vary pretty wildly yeah so this is this is all actually very much like James Bond's uh, cinematic history in addition to the actual character <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, should we maybe talk about what kind of codifies a Lupin movie? So Lupin is like, you can tell he doesn't want to be involved in big over-the-top plots. He doesn't want to be hero. He likes stealing things and he likes women. Uh, you know, one woman in particular who just keeps eluding him. So, oh, they Will they or won't they, Ben? <laughs> um, yes and no, depending he, on the right, depending wrapped, on the writer's name. He gets wrapped up in these plots where he's kind of forced into the role of hero and involved in something way bigger than he normally would want to be. So I found that the part that I like most about Lupin is that he's kind of, he's playing a part um, like the gentleman thief part, the, the, the gentleman part of that is his most um, relatable and uh-huh. I think uh, charming side, right? He, like I don't really <laughs> care about a thief stealing a thing. I care about a thief stealing a thing and leaving a cute calling card and tweaking the investigator's nose and, you know, yeah, giving his a, the proceeds to the, like a little bit of Robin Hood action, you know, kind of like a, like, um, vagabond with a heart of gold sort of thing. But it's more wild than that. Like, he's a real goofball. Like, he'll, yeah, maybe he'll give to the poor one time, but he's equally likely to just, like... Blow it all on, like, heroin. <laughs> or, like, throw the money as a weapon. Like, <laughs> he has this giddy destructiveness and high-pitched voice that remind me of Freakazoid. A, a little bit. I guess I, I, I would probably sign off on that. Yeah, but but his personality changes a bit. 
as you say, on the writer, um, on his mood. He's usually flippant, but he can be serious or... Uh, yeah. He's, a, he's an interesting character that has a lot of range, and I guess maybe that's why he's so endearing. Yeah, so let's let's break down the characters real quick, and then I want to talk about a couple of generalities about Lupin movies and kind of their fascination, um, and then we can start on the plot proper. Yeah. So, uh, like you said, we have... Arsene, Arsene Lupin the Third. Arsene. Um, Arsene Lupin the Third. French. Yeah, he's half French, half Japanese, which is like a a mixture I haven't been fluent with. Um, <laughs> but this is he's uh he's this real lanky, um, kind of fast talking, fast living, and quick witted uh, thief. He's very often codified by this um, ability to get out of. He's very slippery. You know, he's a very right. slippery thief who's not really harmful so much as irritating in the eyes of the law. Like, they, <laughs> they, one inspector gets to chase him down, and then the governments all collectively wash their hands of this problem. Yeah, eventually they even say, like, look, inspector, you, you can stop. It's not, <laughs> it's not, not that big a deal. You're causing, You're making us look bad. <laughs> um, and I love his response to that in this film, but... Yeah, that, that's a really weird scene that doesn't need to be there, but I'm glad it <laughs> happened anyway. <laughs> that's several scenes, but they're pretty good anyway. What do, um, you, what do you like about Lupin? Because I get the feeling that you like him a lot. <laughs> Am I wrong? I mean, he's definitely got some character flaws that I wasn't sweet on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're talking um, about the sexual assault? Yeah, a little bit. We'll, we'll we'll describe that. It it's it's not quite as heavy as I just made it sound, but it you know we'll describe it later on. It's yeah. not great. Um, but he is like he's so charming. Like he's the kind of guy who will steal your wallet, and you'll like notice, and he'll be like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I just wanted to you know borrow this five bucks." He'll take the money from you, but like, <laughs> yeah, damn it, you don't get a good story out of it. So uh, he he reminds me a lot of this character in the Discworld novels by Terry mm-hmm. Pratchett of uh, Moist von Lipvig. Ugh. ridiculously enough <laughs> yeah and <laughs> oh man can you wait for the, like the 10 movie anime series of moist <laughs> oh boy <laughs> moist the third <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh the thing that he is constantly talking about in all those he's a thief who has been executed like on paper but he's been re-employed by the the patriarch of the like the benevolent tyrant of the city to be like this force of uh change in Mm -hmm. in um kind of bureaucratic nonsense that has fallen down underneath its own weight so like the bank and the postal service and he's like all right put that guy in charge he's got a self-preservation streak and he's gonna do things different and um the way that moist kind of moves throughout the world is that he's always selling sizzle in his own words like uh-huh. if you if you sell the sizzle you don't need to sell the steak kind of like uh-huh no uh, i like and, that yeah and um so his his thing is all about talking fast and and putting on a good show and people will love you for it even if they're getting ripped off mm-hmm. and, yeah and uh, that's uh, a lot of what lupon is about yeah another character that uh, might be more familiar to people uh jack sparrow yeah very the same archetype very very much true yeah like i don't think you ever see jack sparrow actually doing any like physical confrontation <laughs> he just sort of gets it in your face and wanders off yeah he sweet talks he he yeah and he 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 um he distracts he redirects he's he's never he's never forcing a confrontation he's always sliding out through the sides and most people are fine with this but there's always this one uptight 
cousin Skeeter-esque white guy who just can't handle the fun. And in this uh, series, that would be uh, Zenigawa or Zenigata. Yeah, Chief in- or Inspector Zenigata, who has taken on the task of catching Lupin as a sort of life goal or hobby, even. Yeah, he reminded me of um, Javert from Les Mis. Sure. Like, yeah. at this point, he's been chasing Lupin so long that to give up would be to invalidate so much of his life. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, at this point, everyone can't help but kind of feel a little bad for him. Like, okay, you you have the authority to chase Lupin down, so we're going to help you, but no one thinks that you're going to do it. And right. this is one of those aspects of watching a Lupin movie where it really helps your enjoyment of the series to be familiar with the characters. Mm-hmm. Because if you were watching this out of nowhere, you'd be like, why is this weirdo showing up just to, like, get shit on the whole movie? Like, it, it doesn't seem like he has much place in the plot. And, in fact, he doesn't. Well, the... I mean, yes, knowing the characters going in is helpful. I think that their roles in this movie in particular are not... You know, it's pretty easy to understand. But I think the depth of, you know, fitting this within a, a wider context adds to the enjoyment of it that's true it's just with characters like this where you kind of need to know their dynamic ahead of time um or or become quickly schooled in that dynamic like it 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 helps you it behooves you to know the dynamic ahead of time and that gives you the most that that lets you get the most out of moments like that first scene yeah um moving on fujiko i think is another very prominent character she's Mm -hmm. sort of the femme fatale role you know the uh pussy galore to the james bond that is lupin the third yeah um i'm not sure how i felt about her in this movie it seems like her sense of agency and control of things just disappears halfway through the plot i agree like i liked her at the beginning because she was kind of she always plays the role of like lupin's one huge blind spot because he always wants to get with her and she's very willing to yeah. take advantage of him through his entire thief career. In Irene Adler kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. But then later she's just damsel in distress. Yeah, it, it flips and we've, it, we've in seen an unsatisfying way. But I um, want to see Lupin in distress. <laughs> well, he's... He, he carries get, it around with him. He does get hooked up to a giant brain read machine. God. <laughs> uh, to, to go through the rest of Lupin's gang, uh, we have Jigen, his kind of driver slash like, crack shot. Like, he's, he's kind of the muscle of the group, mm-hmm. um, slash friend. Like, there's a... Lupin has collected a, like, business-like association of close friends. Yeah. So, like, he's paying them, presumably, or he's, like... It's like D&D party. Like, yeah. we'll be friendly, but you get some of the loot once we make the big score. Uh-huh. And Jigen is not really given, like... He has a lot of character about him, but he's not really given an explanation for why he's, like, a part of this, other than he enjoys it. I, I think that's as far as it goes. Like, I think Jigen's development in this movie is that he we're really trying to ride the line between mercenary and friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, I like him a lot. Like, yeah, his posture does a lot for me. Yeah, like, in contrast to Lupin's kind of, you know peppy tweety bird physique we have jigen who's always slouching he always has his hat in front of his face he's like a little bit more like casually slovenly whereas um lupin is 
kind of sleek. <laughs> it's it's like he's trying up. to turn this into a noir. And a little like, bit. This he's trying to be like a keeps... hard-boiled detective that's down on his luck. <laughs> this goofball keeps ruining his vibe, and he's just like, oh, Lupin. But, but it makes it a but good But he enjoys the antics. Yeah, and they, they enjoy each other. They rely on each other. It's great. A little more confusing is Goyamon, who is just a yeah. samurai who showed up. Yeah, he's... Like, Zenigata and Fujiko and Jigen all belong in James Bond, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Goemon is just this weird samurai who's, in contrast to, like, Lupin is funny on his face, and that turns out being serious. We have Goemon who's serious on his face, but he's doing it so much in a comedic setting that it turns out funny. Mm-hmm. Except not really. It just kind of... I don't like Goemon a lot. He's confusing. Like, I... If they he's had, never made sense in any of the Lupin things, as far as I could tell. Maybe there's a movie where he's the focus and it gives him some more, some more fleshing out. But right now he's he's kind of just a cool guy who travels around with them. There's there's like I, I feel like I saw when I was looking this up there was a uh, a Lupin, um, like manga series devoted just to him that was like Goemon's Reign of Blood or something. <laughs> Goemon's something. Great Adventure. Goemon's Great Adventure. <laughs> Uh, by the way, I, you haven't heard it yet, but I put this. I put the track to uh, the first impact stage <laughs> at the end of the last episode. <laughs> I don't even remember what the context was. Because so. it was the Capital Critters, and they always have like the Japanese music behind when Japanese people speak. Oh, that's right, that's right. I'm talking about bamboo flutes. That's great. Anyway, those are like, kind of the main characters. We also have a villain, but let's just talk about him later. When he shows up, because he's baffling. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Um, a couple he looks of quick like a things. Dragon Ball villain, doesn't he? A couple of quick things about how the movie looks. Um, all of the characters have very lanky arms and legs, but with pudgy potato bodies. Yeah, I really like this design. <laughs> it's like, kind it's, of like it's it gives very the different. illusion of the right proportions, but still focuses on the things that are most interesting about, like to, to, to look about a person. It's also like it's a more adult themed kind of show you know we have sex and violence and crime and having all those lanky character proportions is kind of nice in relation to that like everyone looks like very adult you know mm-hmm. yeah like, like almost strung out in Zenigata's case but very adult very capable which is what I like about um you know a spy novel or a movie is that everyone's very capable and self-sufficient and the, the animation suits that yeah. Oh, speaking of which, Zane, um, I recently checked out this show that really deals with mystery in a really cool way. It's called Gravity Falls. I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> you bastard. I've watched maybe, like, I've almost watched through all of it, and it's really <laughs> cool because they have all these codes built into it, and I, I really recommend you checking it out at some point. <laughs> we have uh, fun here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I, I told I told you, dog. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean you were right. I just I thought it was too recent, and I stand by that. No, that's fair. Um, one other thing is that the uh, the special effects are really cool. Like the special effects and the color is very daring and in your face. Mm-hmm. Like and, and and bold. Like they're not afraid to just cut all of the color and do everything in silhouettes. It reminded me of Samurai Jacket a little in a few ways. Yeah, they and they use color to differentiate the characters. I love that one moment um, where um, Lupin and Jigen and Goemon are all you know standing around talking, and you've got the white and the black and the red 
I don't like, remember that. You're gonna have to remind me when we get to it. They become kind of iconic. I, yeah. I liked it. Um, the characters themselves are a little simple or iconic in, in the design sense, but the backgrounds are very detailed and maybe a bit more darker and, and realistic. It's a classic anime style. And it's also a classic spy movie, right? Like, mm-hmm. we already know the Bond villain. You know, he can take several different forms, but he's always the Bond villain. And we know James Bond, and, like, we can't characterize them much through the strength of our story. So we're it, just going to make it a good... So we're just going to make it a fun popcorn flick, and I think that's what this movie tries to do. Well, the backgrounds and the characters make a tonal difference in that sense, because the backgrounds are definitely James Bond, but the characters are so much goofier. That, I mean, that's true. I, I was speaking more to, like, a, you know, partial fraction sense of, like, what what the Lupin movie is trying to do, more mm-hmm. than, like, an actual constructive pieces. Yeah. Um, the one last thing I wanted to say is that the music is all very appropriate for Lupin. Like, if you have been listening, you can probably guess what kind of music belongs in a Lupin, and it's jazz. <laughs> it is fierce, furious Coltrane. <laughs> um, and in a lot of ways reminded me of Cowboy Bebop when it showed up. You know, like, there's an action sequence, they're trying to dodge bullets, and then jazz kicks in. Like, that's a Spike Spiegel moment. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... It's good anime jazz. Um, mm-hmm. I can't pick out in my head any any like specific pieces except for the intro, yeah. which is the classic Lupin the Third theme. Oh man, uh, do they do that every time in every movie? I've definitely heard it before. Lupin the Third. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird cadence too. But it's it's like Bond girls singing through the intro, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think we're good. Well, uh, one other thing, there mm. were uh, I liked the di- the direction on this. There were a lot of nice choices and cuts that I liked watching, but I couldn't really take notes on. Um, okay, like there's so much happening, and there's a lot of moving parts. I- I'll-, I'll point out a couple of them when we get to it. But speaking of which, this movie, like like I said before, its pacing is pretty spastic. So if we have to like double back for a scene that we forgot please forgive us well there's so much happening like this movie i enjoyed watching but i didn't like having to take notes on because the u.s navy shows up do you remember that every 10 seconds i had to go and like okay here's a sentence here's how i have to make sense of what i'm looking at yeah this is how i'm gonna recall it later yeah so we should uh yeah we should get right into it all right so in we're in the pre-credit sequence and i really dig this opening salvo of like Mm -hmm. Super stylized cinematography. Very slow walk up the stairs. We, um, we don't even, like, it doesn't even show it's stairs. Just a line. It's just lines and Abstract. foot. Like, it's like thud. Like thud, 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 thud. As the stairs are like someone's climbing stairs, you start to understand. And if you're a Lupin the Third fan, you're like, there's only one thing that this could mean. <laughs> and a door opens, light shines through, and we see a spread pair of legs from below, <laughs> which is a little, like, comedic and goofy given that what we're seeing is a a (laughs) lanky man getting hanged yep yep we got to get an upskirt in there as well (laughs) i love the way that they spread their legs when they run like they know that they're stupid looking (laughs) yeah they're they're real bow-legged um but yeah this is a really heavy establishing shot it's like the first thing in a loop on there's no music it's all like very percussive thud thud stepping up a gallows and mm-hmm. then our anti- our, pro- our main protagonist is hanged <laughs> it's great like and this silhouette is obviously lupon like you can pick out a lupon 
from just like an elbow. Yeah, like he, he's, he's just too doughy. He's very, he's very obviously when you're looking at Lupin. And we get a quick cut to a Buddha statue, and we get words appearing on the screen. Coroner's report: An autopsy was performed on the executed prisoner, who was without question the real Lupin the Third. Yeah, isn't that great? And then it zooms in on the word. Uh, it zooms in on the words. But <laughs> yeah, there was it's... a man who refused to believe that Lupin was dead. <laughs> This is a classic way to establish your roguish hero is a man who cheats death. Like a, a man who deserves and then cheats death. It's and a real shocker sl- out the gate. Like you want to know what happens. And it's like a really effective way to start a movie because you're wiping the slate clean. All the all of the momentum that it could have previously had in the franchise. Like what if he and Fujiko were starting to get together from the end of the last movie? What if Zenigata finally caught up to him? This is how you... Restart everything. (laughs) We go back to zero. Yep. So it then flips to Inspector Zenigata, refusing to believe that Lupin is dead, presumably because of how many times he's been given the slip in the past. And he's driving through the rain and lightning up a mountain to castle goddamn Dracula. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) To find Lupin in a coffin. Yep, and this... Man... It's so ridiculous, and and it's really effective, like uh, scenery and lighting, for yeah. for this part of the, for this like little sequence. You know, like uh, we we see him descending this spiral staircase, and we only see his shadow splaying across the wall. Their it, relationship is established when he opens up the coffin and sees Lupin there. He's like, "All right, give it a rest." <laughs> you know, we understand there's a real cat and mouse thing going on. That like he's so excited to see Lupin. Yeah. Yeah, it, like it, it, him be you. You do get the idea that Zenigata needed Lupin not to be dead, as opposed to <laughs> needing it confirmed that he's dead. Well, then he stabs him. I know, but like, I think that's just it's, it's sort of far. a kid rad thing. Like, it, it, this is what he needs to do. If Lupin was dead, he couldn't fulfill his programming, you know. Right. And I love how like the bait and switch on the tone works here, because yeah. we're driving up Castle Dracula. And, like, there's bats and really sharp sounds and no music, and there's a good amount of echo to his footsteps, and the lighting on the wall is all, is, is very, is very, uh, is very glaring. And then he opens up a coffin and tries to drive a stake through a dead man. Like, and the coffin is sitting in the center of a basement. All right, it's the Lupin. only thing there. Like, it, it's so silly. And then the body explodes because it's a bomb. Because like, of it's course, a real Inspector it does. Gadget moment. Yeah, and 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 the the tone is immediately exposed for the fake it is, because he stabs Lupin's corpse with a wooden stake, prompting it to explode. Followed by Lupin alive and well, mocking the Inspector while standing on the ceiling, and then flying away in a giant bat-shaped hand glider. Yes. <laughs> So, like, um, I love how they set up this tone, like, no, we're really going to be serious and somber and dark, and then stick through the chest explosion standing on the ceiling backlighter. <laughs> and they so do nuts. that, And they do that uh, tonally with several other genres throughout the movie. Um, yeah. I'm particularly thinking of sci-fi at the end. Um, yeah. A little plot- less fluently, I'd say. <laughs> Plot-wise, um, both Lupin and Zenigata say, like, I don't know who... It really is. died in the gallows. Yeah. But I'm still alive. Um, and when Lupin flies off in a bat glider, um, Zenigawa starts starts shooting at him, <laughs> and a bullet hole becomes the title screen, just like a James Bond. Yeah. 
and then <laughs> disco. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, you are hopefully listening to it now, even if I already put it in beforehand. But um, the it's there's a, this kind of foreshadowing to what the plot is going to do in this in this uh, James Bond intro. Yeah, we because see some in vitro fertilization. Yeah, there's like a bunch of like little science arms and and some bio shit. Maybe Which a little remember, fetus. Was a, was a really new technology back then and like he, like cloning and the idea of like you know a, a, a new perfect race of humans like these were real fears at the time yeah definitely like like you like eugenics was kind of a big uh was kind of a big fear as well coming out of like world war world mm-hmm. war Two. i mean i guess it, it was a while ago but it's not as the america forgot about it but after the title scene um we have yet another scene of Zenigata just, like, following Lupin. Yeah, like, it's the same scene, kind of. because well, that whole, like, pre... Like, that intro thing, like, it doesn't really matter, like, where either of them are. We just need to reestablish that the chase is on and that a Lupin imposter has been hanged. Like, that's all that really got said. Right. So we need, we need the plot that we're going to be dealing with now to be set up. And we do that vicariously by looking at... Zenigata, who is explaining Lupin's recent conquests and is baffled by his next target. He's been he's been stealing artifacts from around the world, and we see uh, photorealistic pictures. It felt uh, like, very Moriarty for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love having a sneaky character that's talked about in whispers and confusion, like <laughs> like we we don't see what he's doing, and that just makes him a more effective thief in our minds, you know? Yeah. Um, and. Uh, Zenigata go says, "Okay, I I'm I got a hunch. He's going to the Great Pyramids of Giza. I gotta go there with the Egyptian military, and smoke him out." Uh, yeah, and then we cut to Lupin and his comrade Jigen breaking into the pyramid using the least practical and most awesome burglar tools ever. Is like it's that uh, you know it's got that laser trap that all the movies have, all the spy movies. Yeah. And- they're clearly skilled. Like, they're using a series of metal bars to suspend themselves. Mm-hmm. And, like, measuring how far they can go. Like, okay, 10 centimeters this way, thir- three centimeters down. And they're not even focused on the job. Like, they're talking yeah, about, hey, who do you think died? Yeah, <laughs> 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 so, Jigen, who you've been dating lately. <laughs> like, and Jigen's wearing his fucking hat. Like, they're wearing really <laughs> lanky clothing in this laser trap. Like, uh um, um, we, which we is like really that... Indiana Jones in his hat, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to run through a laser room using tools like this. Wouldn't oh, like so an escape fun? room, but like the reverse, like a spy, like get into the room. No, no, no it's like why um, don't those exist? It, it's like a like a, like the kids do it in um like uh, play places. You know, you got laser tag and you got mini golf and you got like a laser room where you try to get through in as little time as possible. And each laser you trip is like an extra three seconds. You know gonna be honest i haven't been to any children's play places in a while oh <laughs> <laughs> moving on <laughs> is that weird um uh, i love this one line that zenigata has like this this dub is very good you know um but i think it doesn't maybe get enough credit for actually being like faithfully comedic it's a little less identical to the japanese or the earlier dubs but they get some great dialogue in like, like, for instance, uh, Zenigata and the Egyptian military, like, Zenigata's trying to boss him around, and one of them's like, who the hell put you in charge of this operation, huh? And he shouts at him, it was the guy who invented the megaphone! <laughs> I love his screaming voice. It's, like, it's his only speed. He's a little gruff and quiet when he's, uh, 
you know, low energy, but when he's got to catch that son of a bitch Lupin. <laughs> yeah, that got to clobber that there Lupin. It jumps right up to 100. <laughs> clobber yeah. that thing. Um, so, mysteriously, all Lupin wanted was a small pebble underneath a really ornate sarcophagus. Mm-hmm. So, like, we, we go to the sarcophagus, we're like, oh, okay, this is like a, this is like a, this is like the mummy. This is like a like a like an Egyptian like uh, like a sarcophagus heist or whatever those are called. But no, he <laughs> that, just takes correct. a popple. Yeah, yeah, the sarcophagus heist. <laughs> what do I think is? What do I think is film? <laughs> um, but their support structure that they've been using collapses and the alarms go off. Yep, and they book a hasty escape from the guards by that are converging on him by using a motorcycle that he presumably smuggled into the pyramid ahead of time. <laughs> That's really the only explanation. That or the mummy had a motorcycle. And he's like, I'm going to have to borrow this. <laughs> Aliens, man. I'll bring it back when I'm done, kid. <laughs> it's like that scene in Back to the Future with Top the kid the with tank. the skateboarder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoa. And... Goyamon is waiting outside. He's sitting around a bunch of fallen guards, so right away we know, like, oh, this is a badass. Right. Um, and he pulls out his sword and slashes the tire to prevent Lupin from flying off of the pyramid. Which is kind of a running theme with Goyamon, is just his sword does whatever he wants. <laughs> and doesn't need to make sense. And uh, I guess this is just a way to get like introduce him into the story, because mm-hmm. he doesn't really do anything. They all continue to escape by riding on a rope that emerges from the sand again something he must have set up ahead of time (laughs) i love i love how this this is lupon thing like this is uh is is that he and and it actually comes up later thematically is that he's got this nature where he plans like a ridiculous amount like he's got third and fourth backup plans for everything he's kind of a mastermind in that way but he also falls for traps very, very easily. <laughs> like, he, he lives kind of, he flies by the seat of his pants, like, but also plans things out ahead of time. It's just this weird conflicting nature. Like, his only rule in life is, like, traps need to go off. Somebody put a lot of time into these. <laughs> They'd feel bad if we didn't try to trip the trap at least a little bit. And, uh, yeah, so they, they escape with the pebble. And there's um, a second after Lupin escapes that Zenigata just curses for a little too long. What do you mean? Like, it's just, I feel like it's bad dubbing. Like, he just oh, kind of yeah. screams for a while, like, for a little bit too long that, for it to make sense. But, uh, in any case, we get the next we get the next scene. Yes. It's a sleepy abode, pink garden, and there's a creepy voice whispering to Fujiko, uh, the beautiful naked woman. Mm-hmm. Um we see things yeah th- this is uh, this movie has some nudity some partial nudity we see her nipples every so often the creepy voice is sweet talking her while she showers gets and, a and little she too weird seem to mind like she's kind of we, we get the idea that even though he's being a creepo she's kind of trying to play him yeah she's talking playfully yeah exactly um, even though he he is revealed to be like video recording her showering yeah and you know she rightly gets upset at that um but, you know, they, they, they have some partnership. He's some sort of benefactor to her. And she mm-hmm. needs to go and meet with a contact to do to do this job for him. And, you, and she suits up in black leather and jumps on a pink motorcycle. Yep, this, Gotta love the 70s. This is, this is Fujiko all over. <laughs> uh, and then we have a... Uh, meet up. 
We have like this, yeah, we have this meetup between all the, like the, the characters. Like we, we know that Lupin and Fujiko are going to meet up at some point. Um, mm-hmm. So it's pretty obvious who she needs to go contact. It's obvious why Lupin stole this pebble. It's and not obvious how it goes from her waking up in the morning to nighttime in the uh, course of a motorcycle ride. But she, she, it was a very long motorcycle ride. <laughs> I guess so. There's a really awesome transition of like riding away music into the next scene where Jigen and Goemon are listening to that tune on the radio because they're waiting for her. So like they're, they're like listening to the same thing that she's driving to. That's great. Because I thought it was just ambient music, but no, it's just that's on her <laughs> motorcycle radio. Um. And when they meet, Lupin surprises her with a rose. And <laughs> Lupin greets her like a fucking weirdo. <laughs> yeah, he's going all in with the romantic he, banter. He's wearing a monkey suit and everything. Um, and then they they have like dialogue, like James Bond esque, like flirty dialogue, where he describes her as a rose that has fatally pricked him. And she's like, "Fatally pricked, huh? Gotta love karma." Like, yeah. oh, they've been they've been to Bone Town. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they, they yeah. Um, there's some awesome banter like there's something to it where we feel like it's happened a thousand times before Mm -hmm. like the characters just know each other in this way like it all feels very familiar if not to us the audience if we haven't watched a lupon movie at least to the characters like this is this is a dynamic that is well suited to them and she gets interested when he shows her that he has got the stone yeah um as as part of a deal for sex, presumably, <laughs> like it's hard right. to tell exactly why Lupin did it, except because, like, the, uh, presumably, like she must be like agreeing to buy it off of him because otherwise, Goemon and Jigen would not have helped Lupin like sate his crush, you know? <laughs> yeah, they they don't like Fujiko. No, not at all. Um, and she just wants the stone. Lupin plays the jilted lover. Um, he can't control himself when she turns on the charm. <laughs> Yeah, it's like his one weakness is Fujiko's charms, um, which is good. I I like that. I like (laughs) him having kind of like this fatal flaw that he nonetheless gleefully runs into every single time. And that comes back later, and I love it. Yeah, she takes advantage of it. She hits him with some paralysis spray and uh, takes the rock and goes. It also also, uh, establishes Fujiko's kind of duality toward Lupin. Where mm. you know we we get the idea that she does care for him, but isn't willing to set aside her other ambitions in order to uh, like you know go farther with this romance. It's like Zenigata chasing Lupin. We never get closure for any of these relationships. No, which is fine. Like it as a franchise, that's kind of how it needs to be. Uh huh. But yeah, it, it's she takes the stone, and it's revealed that. Uh, that was his plan all along. His plan he's all not like, that much of an idiot. Th- that's what I'm talking about. Is like Lupin sets up these plans because he knows that he's going to be a, a moron later. Yeah, t- <laughs> tie me to the ship, men, so that I can hear the siren song. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he put a tracking device on a fake stone, uh, and they all listen in as Fujiko hands the stone to uh, a henchman to this dark figure in the sky, Mamo. Yeah, and. It, it we, we know that they're nefarious. We know Mamo is a person of means. And there's this weird, like, fantastic element about him. Because we don't see him. We only hear him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it kind of establishes, like, okay, this is the mystery. We want to know who Mamo is. It, it's a little unclear what Lupin's character is doing here. Like, why exactly are they spying in on Fujiko? What is he getting out of it? Mm-hmm. With And without that explicit motivation... 
this beginning really makes him seem kind of like a nosy busybody rather than like a like a like a thief you know um i don't know like i accepted that there were plot points that they just you know they had to get to so i wasn't too concerned about it uh, yeah i just i wish i knew why he was doing it at this point Mm-hmm. I mean, other than the obvious that he cares for Fujiko, but that doesn't explain why Jigen and Goemon are are in on it. Like, I would have loved for him to have. Um, I would have loved for like it to be established. Like, oh, Mamo is a person of means. We're gonna rob him for all he's worth. Right, that sort of thing. Like, we no, know think... Fujiko's benef- benefactor must be super rich, so we're just gonna rob him. Like, that would have been awesome. I don't know. It may maybe he just um, maybe he just knows that he can't trust Fujiko. And he's like, I want to, you know, do this job and get paid, but, you know, there's probably something else here. Yeah, maybe. I guess it's um, fine. But we get a little hint as the three of uh, the gang um, discusses about the stone, the Philosopher's Stone, and its role in mythic immortality, which it relates to the other artifacts they've stolen so far. Yeah, and they're doing that at, like, a French restaurant outside, and Lupin is pouring through books while Jigen is, like drinking wine and slouching and goyamon is sitting stock still yeah we which get a is nice really nice establishing still still figure of all all of them yeah we it like establishes their role in the group you know <laughs> you don't think of lupin as like the brainy research one no but he is i mean we do think of him as like the mastermind he's the expert yeah yeah exactly he's the skill so monkey. sort of low cunning yeah he's, he's the skill monkey and goyamon says that he wants to get out of this mess he doesn't he doesn't trust it but they're all attacked by a helicopter yeah, a helicopter turret in broad daylight <laughs> and there's a 30 second machine gun sequence where absolutely everyone and everything is shot through except for those three <laughs> yeah and, and that was kind of like a little bit of low res animation that i didn't care for uh, it, it's it's extremely limited especially in comparison to the rest of the film um, it's so much more brutal than everything in the rest of the film as well <laughs> well there's one moment that's more brutal but we'll we'll talk about it later uh, the over-the-top action stunt thing is is kind of a Lupin mainstay. Like, if we had a James Bond movie, but we wanted a sick car chase in the manner of Jason Statham, this is where it can happen. They're not limited by reality or plausibility. Exactly. So they can just keep escalating exactly. until they're done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which like, they do. Everything that James Bond wishes it could do, this actually is able to do. Yeah, because now they have a helicopter car chase yep. uh, into the sewer, accompanied by Jazz, and, and Jigen's still holding, still holding his, his wine the whole time. I love it. Yeah, that's great. I don't know what it means about him, but I love it. Um, like, the sewer part really feels out of place. The fact that the car could fit, but also that a helicopter could fit. No, that part is ex- that that part is p- totally fine. What I'm talking like I, like the actual dimensions of objects don't matter in this. That's Lupin true. could fit through like a three centimeter hole. It doesn't matter. Yeah, he's like an octopus. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or a bat. <laughs> but um, it, it feels out of place because Goyamon is such a goofy character, and it doesn't really belong in this setting. So whenever we have a highlight moment, it's very strange. He's so anachronistic. Yeah. And the um, whole honorable swordsman shtick really clashes with the crook with the heart of gold spy thing that everybody else is going for. Yeah, and, and so he jumps into the helicopter, and we get a freeze-frame monologue where he says, an unworthy target defiles the weapon. From, from what I understand, uh, that is kind of a ongoing joke, is that he never considers his 
sword skills put to honorable use they're not <laughs> no but like i mean it's his own fault for running in with lupon i read true. a little bit on their backstory apparently lupon tried to steal his sword at one point and he was and goyamon was so impressed with his skills that he joined the crew so for him maybe it's less about money and more about like getting better yeah something like that yeah but he's he's just so out of place that I couldn't I couldn't focus on him. <laughs> what better way to maintain spiritual fulfillment than traveling with the devil? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. The devil who has sideburns. Oh, I love the sideburns. Those sideburns. Um Yeah, so he kills a helicopter. Yep. <laughs> Moving on. And they, they grand theft auto Fujiko and leave. <laughs> Oh, yeah, she drives up and is like, Lupin, hand over the real stone before you get killed. And he's like, like I'm yoink. taking over your car <laughs> and your pushing car. you out. Bye! And Lupin the third! Lupin the third! You can just see him singing his own theme song. <laughs> One Driving thing about like, Lupin so that cool. I love is that he really relishes these moments of comeuppance, because he's got this great, weaselly success laugh. Yeah. <laughs> like He's like, ain't I a stinker? Like, <laughs> Um, and they continue the car chase a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we more. have a second car chase. <laughs> He's like, "Oh, our last car was totaled. Taking a new one." Yep. Uh, this right. time he's that's, being chased. This, that's just his version of a pit stop. <laughs> he just takes a new car. Uh, and they like. They're chased by Zenigata and the police, but then are they in turn themselves are chased by a giant monster truck. <laughs> it looks like Optimus Prime. <laughs> And, like, presumably this is from Mamo. Like, this is one of his things. Uh-huh. And they're trying to take Lupin out. And Lupin evades by, like, driving on falling guardrails and shit. It's so good. And, like, pausing for a cigarette as they escape. I don't know if it's cool or campy. Like, and then they get bombed by a fighter jet. Like, <laughs> like they, they are really painting Lupin as the underdog here. <laughs> but, uh, like, and... To be fair, like, there's some problems with this movie down the line. This part is all classic Lupin, and it's all awesome. Like, everything yeah. here is as good as Cagliostro. Yeah. I think. Uh, mindless destruction, charming car chase. Yeah, and it's, it's where Lupin thrives. Baffling physics. It's where Lupin thrives is, like, he's in a tough spot, and he needs to, you know, MacGyver his way out of it. I love the part where the gigantic truck is trying to navigate the mountain roads, yeah. and it slips off, and it just, like, torques its way back Yeah, <laughs> Like, like 90% of it is hanging off the cliff, and they're just like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> uh, uh, so they get the truck off the road, they head toward a safe house that only, they had prepared. Yes, only to find that it has been destroyed, um, and it prompts them to wonder... Who tipped them off? And must must have been Fujiko. Uh, the others suggest Fujiko, and Lupin is having none of it. <laughs> we're like, you you have to choose between us or her. Yeah, and you know, and, and because she's not right there, of course <laughs> Lupin chooses them. But yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, smiling through through his through his teeth, just lying to them, like you know, scouts on her, and he's got, like... Uh, to hell with her. Yeah, exactly. He's He's got his fingers crossed behind his back, and he's like, ah, they'll never see it coming. And you get the feeling, like, Jigen and Goyamon know that he's yeah. lying. There's like, oh, at least he had, like, the honesty to lie to us when the... Wait. <laughs> no, never mind. You know, this, this kind of, like, uh, culmination of this, you know, them all kind of having it out, it feels very early in the movie for it to happen. 
And this is like the first part that I felt like the pacing really had a problem. They do it again a couple times, but I'll admit, I when I got to like the 45 minute mark i'm like holy crap this movie's not even halfway done yeah like what else is there this is like the 30 minute mark right now and it feels like they're having it out and like climbing to a climax Mm -hmm. um like it like this standoff feels like it's been a long time coming it's like no that's it this is the last time fujiko fucks us over you know that kind of thing uh but i like this core group and i i like this interaction but i agree it could come a little later i also like how lupon resolves it like, I love how he lies straight to their faces, because of course he does. Like, that's just who he is. So, um, yeah. they, not having a safe house, they start having a des- desert travel sequence. It's a little unclear why. Uh, we don't know. <laughs> and I, I kind of accepted the weaknesses in, like, the actual plot structure of this, mm-hmm. because it's not really that important, but yeah, we're, we're not really sure. Um... Mamo, sadist that he is, has placed a tray with water gra- glasses in the way, only to explode in front of them. Yeah, it, it's a message. Any hope of eluding them is a mirage. <laughs> You're reading a little hard into it. I don't know. Is he? Like, what other, what other motivation no, do you ascribe it, to blowing up water in front of your face in the desert? That's like, definitely what it means. But why does he know that? I don't know. He's just poetic and shit it's, it's a weird it's trying to make it, it the movie's trying to make the villains seem more powerful and evil i thought that was already kind of well established yeah i mean the helicopter in broad daylight the like tactical nuclear strike they tried to place on them like it's pretty uh, obvious yeah but um, but then then they find an actual cache of of food and water mm-hmm. and uh and then I fujiko lo- shows and up they, and they start they, they start wasting all the water in a splash fight. Like, they really ping-pong between serious and silly in a, in a nice way. Um, yeah, averaging out the good and bad times. Yeah. But yeah, Fujiko shows up with crocodile tears, and Lupin immediately and characteristically abandons the others in favor for her. And not just that, he's a real dick about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you can tell that Fujiko is lying because she tells Lupin about Flinch, the henchman, yeah. but not about Mamo. So That's it's like, true. okay, we know, like, we don't need, like, a wink from her. Like, the audience knows that she's up to no good again. We, we don't even need that, though. Like, especially if, and this is one of those moments that it behooves you to be familiar with the franchise, we don't need to know that she's lying because it's obvious that she's lying. It's obvious here. I think at different points in the movies, I wasn't, at different points in the movie, I wasn't sure because, you know, sometimes she's being mind controlled or paralyzed or so. like. I think I that's never got a good sense of her motivation. I think that's intentional. Like, I think her motivation yeah. is supposed to be opaque. That makes sense. That puts us more in Lupin's uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's true. I, I didn't think of that. That's really good. I actually really like, despite some troubling sequences, I like the character of Fujiko a whole lot. Yeah, I think she's. I think she's a really good addition. Yeah. This certainly fits better than Goyamon. <laughs> uh, Goyamon's uh, voice actor is the same, or at least in the 2003 dub, is the same guy who does um, Sonosuke in Rurouni Kenshin. Yeah, I had noticed that. And it's like the same character. It's pretty much the same. I, I like Sonosuke a lot better. Well, yeah, he was more of a, like a, he was kind of like Jigen and Goyamon combined. A little bit. He f- felt kind of like a bouncer or something. But it's really out of place here. Um. N- since we're talking about it, would you mind uh, going in like listing the voice actors for the dub that we watched? So that, that was really know. the only one I super recognized. Um, I know that Fujiko, 
is also the person who voices uh, Yoko in Gurren Lagann. Yeah, that's true. Um, and but we I also look at any others. So Arsene Lupin, Lupin is voiced by a guy named Tony Oliver. Um, Fujiko Mine is voiced by uh, Michelle Ruff. And, right. And, uh, you know, uh, the other one's not really that important, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, you guys can look it up yourselves, but I wanted to have Tony Oliver and Michelle Ruff as kind of touchstones for us. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, Lupin has everything he wants. And he's moping. He's moping. He's like, okay, I finally have the girl of my dreams. She's like, you know, totally. She's making me dinner. Yeah, she's making me dinner. She's making Google eyes at me. And he can't stop steaming about the fight that he had with his buds. (laughs) Um, Which I I kind of really like. Yeah. And then I kind of really don't like this next part. (laughs) Well, he changes his tune because he thinks sex is on the table. But now she turns him away after beating him. Like, it's confusing. Yeah. And and then that night oh man yeah that that night is he grabs an axe and bursts through the door between them like it's the shining yeah and then and she just... like dives out of his boxers <laughs> as though he's going to like dive into a pool that is fujiko it's super weird <laughs> um but he falls asleep and we realize like oh no he he's the victim like yeah fujiko drugged exactly. him again <laughs> like this is really this is a real weird relationship I, yeah i wish I wish Lupin was portrayed a little less rapey than he is. Are we supposed to like or support either of these characters? I don't it's think so. It's not clear. Like, on one hand, I like the commitment to duplicity that Fujiko has shown, but on the other, her portrayal as a confusing man-eater is kind of nauseating. But, commitment you know, Lupin is duplicity. playing a beta womanizer sexual predator, so, like... Oh, he's he's not in comparison to the antagonist who just <laughs> just straight you know, photo so yes yeah, camera and well i mean he's like physically kind of assaulting her it's pretty not good yeah well he was drugged was he he yeah oh i thought she just did like the sleep spray in his face sort of thing oh i thought that she had like drugged him in the oh food. his food that makes more sense it's it's hard to tell it, no, it no really you're matter. probably right but like I, it still is not great and it's it's not the only time that Lupin is excessively like aggressive about his sexuality. No, he's he's definitely lecherous. Yeah, I I would almost say he's like. I I would go so far as to say he's kind of rapey, to be totally yeah. honest. Yeah, in the Bond sense. Yeah, exactly. Like there's that that the famous scene where he just like, in in that uh, James Bond takes that uh, that one uh, woman in the in the shed, right? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I remember. Still haven't seen any it. Bond. Yeah, I remember reading up on it. Is like, uh, he, there's this famous scene where they kind of play fight, and eventually oh, Bond yeah. like forces himself on her, and like you know the v- visual cues are such that we are led to believe that it's okay because she's having a good time, but like, like the sequence of events is still oh, that's absolutely that's absolutely rape, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I guess that was just like considered okay at the time in film yeah i mean like i'm not gonna harp on it too much but like no you know gender equality they were both it's awful weird. yeah and we knew it was oh. gonna happen like fujiko betraying lupon in is captured by mamo mm-hmm. well uh jigen goes back to help lupon yep very like, western he's not happy about it very western 
like um, the whole you know the hero and the storms off yeah the hero and the other guy they they, they part ways and dress right at the end right when you need him most the man with no name he comes back well he sees Lupin being kidnapped and there's this great animation where the camera is moving toward Jigen as he turns to shoot at the plane I didn't notice this. It feels like the audience is in the plane as a captive as well. Mm. It was one of the nice little directing choices I mentioned. Nice. That just pop up occasionally. Yeah, I, I wish I had paid more attention to it. The, the movie moved fast. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I was still digesting the previous scene. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, this... Um, okay, so this whole sequence feels like it ha- happens like an hour too early, right? We have betrayal, argument, capture by the antagonist... Yeah, and we're a third in. We're a third in. We're starting the second act. And this is the first point that I was like, okay, this movie is really awkwardly paced. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've said it before, but I wanted to point out how ridiculous it is. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we, we go to the marketplace where Jigen is being tailed by Goyamon and a bunch of U.S. Yeah. soldiers. <laughs> yeah, cut to Spain. <laughs> Who like, bring him again, onto a Navy base. doesn't really make sense. And they, they bring him to a Navy base where Goyamon and uh, Jigen are being read the riot act by some officials who have them... Who, who have them listen to blackmail terms between the U.S. president and the Russian pri- premier? And this is uh, 2003, remember, so we get a Texan accent for the U.S. president. <laughs> yeah, it's just George Bush. Um, and so they're talking on the tapes, and a third voice, Mamo, is making threats like, give me all of your information about biotechnology, uh, cloning, all that stuff, or I will just nuke I all of you. I will blow up the world. I will blow up the world. And they're like, that's a terrorist. <laughs> yeah. and, and <laughs> If anyone is. And, and I do love that they have George Bush doing the accent when they say terrorist. Oh, it's so nice. It's terrorist. <laughs> terrorist. Um, they also apparently have like a weird Henry Kissinger stand-in as like the negotiator for them. Yeah. It, like, it's just a lot of weird references and, you know making fun of at uh, it's weird to have the one specific reference when everything else is clearly fantastical yeah yeah, yeah. Um, um but yeah so they they I, demand I, there's a there's a i'm sorry there's a there's a thing that jigen says which is pretty cool which is mm-hmm. um you know they're kind of threatening them to give up some information about mama so they can hunt them down and uh jigen says like now which america am i trying to help here the bastion of freedom or the tyrant or something like that yeah, yeah. And then the other guy, the, the the U.S. guy, like, grabs him by the cuff, and he's like, you Democrat! <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if the dubbers were just having fun with those cornball jokes. Yeah. Because they wouldn't have made any sense in 1978. <laughs> um, but um, all Jigen has to go on is a post-it note that Fujiko dropped from the plane uh, that says water on it. The Americans get fed up, throw throw everything, and leave. Uh, but the post-it note gets water on it, and then it says Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And they're like, guess we're going to the Caribbean. Guess that's our new clue, yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a little bit here of uh, more foreshadowing to the bioengineering aspect that we already got in the intro cinematic, because mm-hmm. now we know that Mamo is specifically interested in bio-research. So. Right. We're, we're, we're building towards something, and it's something dumb, but it is something. <laughs> and they're building it well. Um... So we cut to, to Lupin, and he's <laughs> Every time a, we cut to Lupin, it's a good time. <laughs> he's in jail, but he's, like, in a comedically oversized birdcage. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Like, this is so Looney Tunes. He wakes up the guard by howling like a dog, he plays asleep, and sneaks out when the guard investigates. I know, it's great. 
Like I love yeah. when I love when Lupin ever gets the better of a guard. Like and it always happens and it always feels very deserved. Like of course he was gonna escape. This guy's out of his league. Yeah. I love little moments like that where he shows quick quick wit in a tight spot. And there's a couple that come up, such as when he's uh, eluding the guard through some surrealist painter dimension. Right. Yeah, like, have you noticed? Did you like notice? It's a, yeah, it's a Scooby Doo chase through some strange artwork. Yeah, like they go through an MC Escher stairs and then a room with like Dolly clocks. And then he it's runs weird. into Napoleon and, and Hitler. Hitler, yeah. And None of this has any impact on anything else in the movie. I got nothing. It just, it just happens. <laughs> like it's fun to watch, but it's so hard to describe. So there's a few things here I wanted to I wanted to point out. The mm-hmm. chase scene between him and the guard, despite going through like surrealist painter landscapes, um, one scene is done entirely in shadow, and it seems like the animation was a little faster there. Like they're kind of juking and jiving mm-hmm. and like chasing each other, and it reminded right. me of the rotoscoping that they did in Wizards. Where like you oh, cut yeah. to a silhouette about like with like real people who are just kind of silhouetted out, and it it feels like an animation bump, even though you're cutting away like, all the color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it really felt cool. Um, it's super jazzy, obviously. <laughs> the and all of this is taking place in a giant like ruined city with some M. C. Escher physics. Yeah. Um, and eventually Lupin heads up an isolated staircase to a giant harp with Mamo sitting there playing. Yeah, like, he, he managed to keep himself away from having an organ, but, like, this is clearly, like, the villain <laughs> at the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is very clearly, like, the villain at the end of the hallway. And, um... And he's pretty ugly. Yeah, he doesn't look... He looks like Violet Beauregard from Willy Wonka. He's a ghoulish, short figure. Yeah, or, like, Bobbity from Dragon Ball Z. He's, yeah. like, very clearly, like, disfigured and misshapen in some weird way. In some science way. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> like, science hath gone too far. Yeah, exactly. It's like a Frankenstein. Um, and he offers Lupin immortality. This part is great. I love this. He's like, I used the Philosopher's Stone as a test to see if you deserve immortality. Yeah. Um, will you take my offer? And... I love the line that he says here. Lupin says, I say, when it comes to living, more ain't necessarily more. (laughs) What a great line that says everything you need to know about Lupin. Like, the fast-talking, fast-talking nature, his desire to always be on the move and never to linger, like Rolling Stone gathers no moss. It's the perfect thing for him to say. I, I like the difference between how he interacts with, like, a mook, like the guard, versus this antagonist, because... You know, he can be very silly and almost Looney Tunesy with somebody, uh, you know, below him. He's or stepping on his up level. his game. Yeah, he's he's becoming a dramatic figure mm-hmm. when he's dealing with this kind of weird, like, physics monster. Like, he's just floating in midair. Yeah, yeah, this guy is, like, very, like, like weirdly supernatural mm-hmm. in some way that we don't yet understand. And some way I and, did kind of disliked. Yeah, and, and Lupin turns down his offer. and Which is so great. And then, like, he doesn't get put back in jail? No, he's just allowed to wander the premises, <laughs> which is super I, Oh, you escaped the guard. Good, good. Well done. Um, there's a brief intermission where Jigen and Goyamon are trying to rescue Lupin, even though he chewed them out earlier. 
and Zenigata is a stowaway on their boat. He's Just think of me like a barnacle. <laughs> he's tied to the side in scuba gear under the water. Yeah, you get a sense of the fanaticism that drives him. You, you gotta like this guy in some way. You gotta like something about that. And also the U.S. is following them as well. So this is <laughs> this is kind of like the car chase from earlier. Yeah, exactly. Being shadowed always... by a bigger threat. Yeah. Um, and yeah, M- Mamo just gave up keeping Lupin in check. I think because he like thought him kind of done with. Like, okay, I've got the stone from him. I you know, paid lip service to giving him immortality, and now I just write him off. But yeah. he's clearly underestimating Lupin, um, because he, he, he like, very shortly tries to steal the stone back, or steals the stone back. Right. Um, so as Lupin's wandering around, he finds a series of tubes with things growing in them. Uh, we, we learn that these are clones, and uh, Mamo is trying to, like, convince Fujiko to become immortal with him without Lupin. Yeah, and and so we learn why exactly Lupin was offered immortality in the first place is cuz Fujiko yeah. wanted to twist his arm into it. And and we get the we get the du- sense of her duplicity, which I like a lot. Yeah. Yeah, so like maybe she does care. Like we but... know that she cares. We just know that she she also can't commit to him. And this yeah. this is the thing that kind of reflects this is the polar opposite of Lupin's, you know, more ain't necessarily more living. Like, he he puts his heart on his sleeve. Even though he's very crafty, he's never dishonest in his intentions. Yeah, and whereas she is trying to make sure that she's making the right call. Exactly. Um, yeah. And and in, in extension to that, she is also interested in gaining immortality, presumably because she, like, a, an ongoing thing with her is she wants to be forever young. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And doesn't want to, you know, it, she she just wants to have all her outs open. Right. Whereas and, whereas Lupin burns bridges as fast as he can cross them. <laughs> Speaking of, um, we see some scientists trying, to, like, reporting to Mamo about the Philosopher's Stone, but Lupin's <laughs> like, yes, right behind them. This moment, this moment is when I steal the stone when Mamo is watching. <laughs> He takes it and brags and breaks the screen in a, like... This is when I was like, oh, this is Freakazoid. <laughs> and Fujiko thinks it's so funny. Like, she can't help herself. Like, yes, I have to marry this ghoul in order to become immortal, but he's so charming. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's another, another chase scene. There's another Looney Tunes chase where Fujiko... Uh, Lupin finds Fujiko and grabs her and tries to get away with her. The whole animation of this chase scene seems like it uh, was a bit, quite a bit lower. Yeah. Um, and it was at this point that I realized that the animation quality varies pretty wildly even within this movie. Like, it goes yeah, from cool to silly, and, like, the facial features are much more generic and less defined. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it reminded me a little bit of One Punch Man. You know, how, yeah. how he's drawn in two different ways depending on what the show is doing. Right. Well, I think here it's just like the more important things are given more animation weight. I kind of feel like it's discussing the two sides of Lupin, which is cool and goofy. Oh, yeah. And so they like they they de-emphasize his features when they want him to be goofy, such as with a Looney Tunes chase. That makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, they they meet up with Mamo, I guess. <laughs> like they... In front of his full wall recreation of the creation of Adam. That's fine. <laughs> He, he certainly doesn't have delusions of grandeur or anything like that. 
And since they're arriving by way of a giant elevator piston, they're playing around and making sexy time with each other. (laughs) And Mamo is just seething. He's like, are you quite done yet? (laughs) I'm right here. Um, Yeah, and we more or less know Mamo's plans by now. He seeks to annihilate the world's population, remaking it his own image with the cloned versions of humanity's best and brightest. And he's been doing this kind of crap for centuries. Yeah, and Lupin responds by calling him short and ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Lupin, you just have a way with words, don't you? I just love, I just love how he like just devalues all of like the megalomaniacal. Um, activity and just of trying to get him to take it seriously. Yeah, he's like, just like, nah. like they look on screen, they see Zenigata talking to uh, the real Lao Tzu, and <laughs> Lupin's like, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's just a guy that's pretending to be Lao Tzu, yeah. and he's like, "That's the real Lao Tzu." <laughs> okay, buddy, you got it. <laughs> he's just making. He's like, Lupin's his perfect antagonist. <laughs> so good. just like a guy who is doesn't take anything seriously, and s- still gets the better of him, and has the favor of the woman he loves. <laughs> like well, that's gotta be so frustrating. To how much you can piss off a god because he binds Lupin to a cross. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And puts a helmet on him that will well, reveal his he subconscious. Put, Mamo pushes a button that handcuffs Lupin to his own chair. Like, this is <laughs> the chair that Mamo is sitting in. <laughs> well, Mamo's arms are shorter. They wouldn't handcuff his arms. But why this would was... he have a button for that anyway? <laughs> wouldn't you? I don't know. I think he was planning for some sexy time stuff later. Oh, yeah. No, that's true. Uh, and he rushes him off to a weird... So this is obviously like a very James Bond moment. Yes, we're going to see inside your the mind of your beloved, and we'll show you who the real man is. <laughs> and we get the real man is a montage of, of like tits. <laughs> Zenigata's pursuit, Lupin's sexual id, and like crass advertisements <laughs> like buy orange soda. It's so great! It's so great because we've been subjected to Lupin's nature this entire time, and what we get is like what we our understanding of him is what you see is what you get just a guy who loves adventure like he's he's just fast talking and he lives fast and dangerously and doesn't really linger and doesn't think and, things too far out in the future and we're shown that that's literally what he thinks and and mama is like see he's no good for you if fujiko you what you really would love is a nice guy like me if you just gave me a chance <laughs> it's pretty, this a lot lately it's pretty rough <laughs> I, I mean like oh. it's a little bit less than that because he's he's not like asserting that he's nicer he's just asserting that he's better he is yeah well you have a god complex you're gonna just like that's square one yeah um but he probes further he's like we're gonna see what's at the very bottom of the subconscious <laughs> yep it's nothing yeah lupin really bizarrely we get the detail that lupin lupin doesn't dream and i don't know what that means well uh, Mamo says, like, that means he's either a complete idiot or a god. Yeah, it... it and makes... I'm like, neither of those seem right. No, it, and it's, like, the fact seems really extraneous. Like, we've already seen everything that we need to have seen about Lupin's subconscious, which is, like, like the spastic behavior of a man-child <laughs> that yeah. is allowed to do whatever he wants. So it, um, it felt extraneous to me, but it doesn't go too far into it, because at that moment, the army comes in and blows the place up right quick. Good old U.S. Air Force. <laughs> uh, Mamo asks Fujiko to choose, and seeing that she won't join him, tries to shoot her, at which point Jigen shows up and returns fire, shooting him yeah, in the yeah. head. Boom. 
And you're like, and done, and wait, there's 40 still minutes half an hour. Out. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they all escape from the wreckage. On their way out, Mamo's right-hand man, what was his name? Twitch? Or Flin- Flinch. Flinch. Duels Goyamon in a sword battle. Giving them both more screen time and persona than either of them really needed. Or, or deserved. Yeah. It made no sense. Also, why is your giant henchman, like sword guy and and also like even if you wanted to have like this little scene that's kind of entertaining it, this is not the right moment for it it's right. an escape scene why, why are we doing that well it's one thing i really like about this is the choice after they do the like jump in midair slash each other thing mm-hmm. and you're looking from flinch's perspective and the world just splits into thirds because his head is in thirds yeah i feel like i've seen this before like i feel like this is a samurai jack thing where the robot's mm-hmm. head gets split in half. Um, and he tries to, like, keep it together. Like, Looney Tune physics. Like, he tries yeah, to hold yeah, his yeah. head in one spot. <laughs> oh, sorry, guy. No, sir. Um, but he dam- uh, Goyamon damages his sword in the process because he's not worthy. That's... And I must be. I must leave to become worthy yeah, again. Yeah, like, whatever, Goyamon. Go, go back to your own movie. <laughs> like, he's just, just in the like, wrong spot. Visiting. <laughs> yeah. He's visiting the movie. Yeah, is, he He's definitely, like, the biggest example of, like... He's he's the second biggest of example of what is wrong with this movie. Uh-huh. And I think maybe what is wrong with Lupin. Like, I don't think he fits. Like, everything that he is is better characterized and expressed by Jigen. Yeah. Jigen fulfills the role better, and he's more interesting to watch. Um... That's it. Yeah, you you nailed it on the head. I'm not certain that Goyamon took anything away, or at least not so much that he didn't give it back in equal measure, but I also don't think he added much. I I just, like, if he was just there, maybe, fine. Like, quirky sense of humor that Lupin has. We have a weird samurai running around who just does whatever special effects we need. Oh, yeah, like, he wants to be the old-time hero, like he's a Don Quixote. Yeah, exactly. But we just don't get any characterization about it. At least no good characterization. And all the scenes are just, like, him delivering his classic lines. You know, it's just, there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, they all escape on a boat, and it really does feel like the end of a movie. And we uh, we even get, like, an epilogue, but really it's more of an aside for uh, Zenigata. This, this, who... is, this is the moment of the movie that I have phrased Zenigata's lament. <laughs> I I I kind of like this scene honestly. I, I like so it different. too, but like <laughs> it doesn't belong. He's it's like he's starring as... in his own little mini movie where Lupin is the antagonist. Because like Lupin ignores him for the entirety of the movie. If they had more of like a cat and mouse dynamic, his place here would make more sense. No, it's entirely one sided. Exactly. Not in all Lupin like works, but in this one, Castle of Cagliostro has him, you know, as a very strong presence for the entirety of the movie. Mm-hmm. But I really like Zenigata, so I was willing to forgive this complete side part. Um, and and he's just had a rough time. He's been blown up several times. Yep. Uh, and he talks to the Interpol commissioner in Japan, uh, who tells him, stop looking for Lupin. It's, it's too big. It's too complicated. And it's sad, because here's a guy starving for a week, has a daughter at home, just got a big bonus for all his work, and he says, but I'm the only one in the world who can catch Lupin. Yeah, and he says <laughs> Which it in is such also a way we, we, we are sure that it is not correct, and also yeah, that like, he can't do it either. Like, it is demonstrably false. Yeah. Um, but he resigns and goes after Lupin he, as he a private the bonus. <laughs> like, so, like, dude, at least... Yeah, this is... Like, that's for work done. But, like, I like the madness. Like, it's so far in the one direction as to just be... 
the perfect expression of what he is. Like, I wouldn't have wanted anything less. Yeah. Like, he needs to be able to chase Lupin. Like, that's just what makes him tick. How, how do you uh, feel I'm about gonna... Zenigata in general? Because I, I think I really like him. I like this archetype. I don't know... You know, it's weird. Um, I keep thinking of, like, Batman and Joker relationship, but they're both they're both so much more mild. Yeah, it's it's a little bit different, but I, I kind of agree. Um, no, I, I like him a lot, and I wish he had gotten more meaningful screen time. He was definitely on screen enough. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I, like, the first scene of the movie, like, I still just love that whole first five minutes. Yeah, yeah, me too. And then there's, you know, a little, a few scenes with him later where he's talking to Lupin, and that's where he shines. Yeah, I would have loved it if, like, he played a critical role at some point. Like, him being here and focusing on Lupin, like, changed things and, like, made everything work at the last second, but it never really comes. Yeah, maybe if he, like, unwittingly tips off Mamo to Lupin's yeah. whereabouts. Yeah, yeah. Like, that would have been great because our very next scene is um, Lupin is conjecturing that if Mama was making clones, he too could have been a clone. Right. Um, and so, you know, that anticlimactic shot through the head might not have actually killed Mamo. And uh, this is all happening in Colombia for some reason, yep. by the way. Don't worry about it. James Bond. Uh, Mamo appears to them in a mindscape, and he says, not only have I set this whole plot in motion, I'm responsible for all of history. How dare you get in my way? I, just, I don't understand anything about this. Like, why he's still doing things? Well, first of all, this is, like, this is well, getting very supernatural. Because Fujiko is still there, right? Like, the plot's getting way too supernatural for its own good. Yeah, Fujiko is there. So he's coming in to steal Fujiko and also, like, just antagonize Lupin. Send a message. Also, he's apparently the guy who made Lupin, the Lupin clone, to, to be hanged. Presumably because he needed Lupin to steal the stone at some point. But it's still it, really it, weird. It's not explained why. Um, he tells Lupin that, hey, maybe you're a clone and the original died. Yeah, which um, Lupin doesn't really care. <laughs> yeah, well, like, like, that's we, get not, the, we get the like impression that Lupin is kind of unfazed by his jeering. It's like, come on, man. Just stick to the short and ugly jokes. <laughs> like, you're out of um, your league. And this part of the movie is trying to make you question, like, is Mamo... A god? Is he the or real is he just deal? a rich guy? Is he a rich guy who like went a little crazy? And the answer turns out to be neither of those, and also dumber than either. Yeah, of those. It, which is yeah, and then, like the it just gets so supernatural here. This is where the movie falls apart in my mind. Like, uh, yeah. it, it's kind of it. They're in Mamo's space. Like, apparently, like they're all hallucinating or something, and he's. Like, well, as Lupin he's going to, on, like, this diatribe. Lupin tries to come up with an explanation, like, oh, he's doing smoke and mirrors kind of thing. Which I like, um, because... But then Mamo yeah. just shows up in front of them. Right, and this is kind of like the bait and switch. Like, I thought that Lupin was gearing up to, like, disproving Mamo. And so it was really cool. It's like, oh, wait, like, this is just... He's a good magician, but that's all he is. He's a stage magician. This is smoke and mirrors. And then Mamo floats over, mind controls Fujiko, and flies away. And, like... And starts an earthquake. And this is... The... the like, breaking the fourth wall and doing goofy stuff is fine. That's why Lupin works. Like, riding on a rope, for instance. Right. But it's all delivered with, like, a smirk. 
you know? And they're wholeheartedly endorsing this god prophet magician. It's just... It's too much of a scale-up. Exactly. Yeah, and it just, like, it, it's defying its roots. If, if, if you're fighting the head of a long-running, like, international clone syndicate, fine. But a psychic god is more of, like, a third movie kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, a little bit. Like, you, you gotta work your way up. What do you do after this? Because Castle Cagliostro is, like, some dude is trying to steal the family fortune, right? I don't remember Something like details, that. There, there's, like, like, a counterfeit was, money sort of organization. It was way smaller. It was a lot smaller. This is, like, a thing that uh, Watch Out for Fireballs constantly talks about, uh, Final Fantasy. Is oh, yeah? That, um, yeah, is that, you know, the plot starts small and personal and very realistic, and then at the in the third act gets big supernatural space god dumb. Yeah, right. And this is kind of doing the same thing. And I'm glad that you also found that frustrating. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, um, that was really irritating to me as well. I do like that Lupin and Jigen uh, go back and forth on believing. Yeah. Which explanation makes sense? Like, they're wrestling with their own doubts and trying to talk themselves out of it. So... This is like the this is like the build up to where Lupin is planning to confront Mamo. Like Mamo has just taken Fujiko and he's like threatening the world and a bunch of bullshit. And they have it out a little bit. And at first I was like, oh, now we see the why the plot was getting so dumb is because Lupin is calling it all out as smoke and mirrors, and we're gonna find out that it is all smoke and mirrors. He's gonna disprove him publicly. And of course, I think that would have been better. And of course, that doesn't happen, and it's frustrating. But at this point, I was like really impressed because I thought it was. Yeah. So he explains away the earthquake as saying, like, okay, Howard Lockwood, the guy who we think is Mamo, mm-hmm. the rich tycoon, had an energy plant. If he had blown it up, that would have caused an earthquake. Let's go pay him a visit. And I thought that that was really cool. Like, this part was, like, very Sherlock. Yes. And since misdirection is sort of Lupin's bailiwick, I thought it was going to be, like, a, a battle for who can misdirect the other one better. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, it's not that. Um, and Jigen's like, just just give, uh, like, we don't need yeah, Fujiko. Let's little, get away from this This is, this this is too much. I can't handle it. And uh, Jigen doesn't want to risk his life for Lupin's crush, especially after getting, you know, so frightened by Mamo and having been so categorically betrayed by Fujiko. Multiple times. And Lupin em- emphasizes his live-for-the-moment philosophy. And he's like, you know, Jigen's like, just get another woman. And he's like, you know what? The world's lousy with women, but not with love. Which is like... Not your philosophy, bro. <laughs> I-, I think it is. Is it? Yeah. Like, he... he puts his heart on his sleeve and he like i love fujiko so i'm gonna do this i think it's exactly him i don't know with all the mind control and betrayal and you know rapiness i got the sense like it was much more of a lust relationship Uh, like puppy love there was glimmers of love but i don't think it's enough for him to like it's enough for him to risk his life it's not enough for him to make this bold declaration maybe he's you know i i like to think that he's kind of realizing it too. Oh yeah, yeah. Like he's coming to terms with Fujiko's in danger, and I need to rescue her. And he's he's kind of figuring it out too. Like I agree that it's a little inconsistent with his behavior, but he's also a very strange character. It could be that that's how he expresses his. Love. I th- I found it more consistent with like him playing himself up and his jealousy over the possibility of losing Fujiko. Like those two combining to look on the surface like he's a heroic badass now. Um, I don't know if he really believes it. Yeah, maybe. I, I really but thought it, it, it was... But it plays. I thought he was playing it pretty straight. It plays. Yeah, it, it plays fine. 
I, I, in fact, I think it plays very well. Um, and it, it's a thing that he doesn't do normally. Like, he doesn't normally go for, like, the gushy declara declaration of love emotion. Like, especially yeah, not in true. front of... In front of Fujiko, he turns into a complete idiot. But, like, <laughs> so moments like this, where he's serious, actually do hit pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then sure. there's, like, a travel sequence that feels like it's the beginning of a Street Fighter game. <laughs> he, he journeyed far to avenge his master encountering the dangers of the elements and surviving its wrath <laughs> like like we get the i don't know it, it struck me as like they're trying very hard to make this seem epic mm -hmm. and so now we finally get to the real showdown yes the ruins of the power plant that uh, which is still running yeah it's full of cloaked figures who are shooting at lupin mm -hmm. uh, and when he blows them up he discovers that they are yet more clones yeah, ancient robed Mamo clones. Uh, who reveal that the process is not perfect. Uh, it's distorted him over the years. Um, that Which is a bizarre point to make, because that is actually how aging works. Like, they didn't make yeah. that up. <laughs> yeah, it's just it, they, they managed to slow it down by, like, going sideways instead of forward. Exactly. But... A good way to put it. And it also explains why he's a blue dwarf, so there's that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's he's devolved over the years. Got it. Yeah, good enough. Oh, no, the files become corrupted. <laughs> Fine. Like, they, um, they already have, like, mind control science, so, like, whatever. And Mamo is, meanwhile, trying to trick Fujiko into pressing a button that will nuke everyone. E what did now we have to repopulate. Yeah, I don't I don't understand precisely why he did that other than to be manipulative cuz he likes doing it. Yeah. And he yeah, he calls up the president either. to gloat. <laughs> yeah. Which is so fucking weird. Like yeah. I like that Mamo like, is consistently I launched, gloating. I I have launched all the missiles on Earth. What? You said you were doing that tomorrow. <laughs> what? I don't remember this arrangement. I, I don't know. It's like a, I, a lot of the plot points kind of skipped me at this moment cuz I was pretty invested in the Lupin Fujiko thing and not really into whatever else was going on. Sure. Like, the whole U.S. military side plot thing seems extraneous. Yeah. Um, but Lupin shows up. He he blows up the he missiles He preemptively blows time. them up. What a hero. I, I, I love it. That's what he does. Arson. Like, okay, I can um, only solve this by being destructive. Great. <laughs> and there's a bunch of missiles here. I know exactly what to do. And Mamo uh, puts Fujiko unconscious again. Like <laughs> like a Vulcan neck pinch. The whole second act, <laughs> Fujiko, it's not that her character gets worse. It's that she's just asleep for the whole thing. Maybe, yeah. Like, I mean, she is kind of damsel in distress to bring out what we need to bring out in Lupin, which is not great. Mm -hmm. I don't... I don't love it. Uh, I wish that she was like a little bit more of a active figure in trying to discredit or thwart Mamo. Oh, at least a distraction. Yeah, like, something. There, there's ways to do this more elegantly. Yeah. Um, the three of them take some conveyor belts to a Bond villain lair, yep. complete with lasers. Yep, Mamo chases Lupin down with some sweet lasers, gloating yet again. <laughs> and I've got you now, Lupin. And they give us closure that I don't think I needed. Um, Mamo reveals that Lupin's clone was actually the one who died, not him. So that it Apparently so that it'll feel even worse when Lupin dies now. <laughs> Why bring it up earlier? I don't know. It seems... Like, the audience was already considering it as an option, and there were ways to do it more 
subtly. It's also just not the thing that Lupin cared about. Like, you could have restructured the movie such that, that it was more of a, an identity crisis and less of a battle of wills. But they uh-huh. haven't been doing that, so it feels so unnecessary. You know what could have been cool? Mm. If when he revealed, like, oh, the cloning process gets some things wrong, and Mamo could try and, like, psych Lupin out, like, you're an imperfect copy, you're, you don't have the skills that you need. Like, that could have been an interesting way to go with yeah, it. Yeah, that would have been good. Like, place, like place him in a bond Powers death mojo trap. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, mojo. That, that's kind of funny. <laughs> I, I like that. I don't think it's. I don't think it. I still don't think it would work very well here. I think they should have just dropped the whole thing. Yeah. But it. You know. Whatever. Um. And like and. The, I like that it's a bond layer, but everything else about this is garbage. <laughs> yeah. So we get into the kind of the rough last bit where. Uh... So Lupin reflects the lasers with Goemon's sword fragment. You know, just to like give some. Like the, it's, reason that he was they're there. trying to like justify goyamon's presence in the plot <laughs> almost and the whole broken sword honor thing yeah whatever um and um, he sets mamo's face on fire in one of the best animation bits in the whole oh, thing sets him on super fire he's a shambling mass of fire and ash for like a minute so this is great i want to i want to break down this animation beat because it's so amazing yeah please the it's really brutal there's awesome color shifts. Everything kind of goes like weirdly like chromo- like chromatic aberration. Like all the colors are not what they should be. He gets hit with like this purple like flame and it's a physical force. It feels like he gets hit with a cannonball that just happens mm-hmm. to be fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's like sounds of impact and everything. And in the final moments of his life, he's clawing his way to Fujiko while on blue fire while weird science whistles play like it's a metroid game and he really looks like an alien in this shot he's terrifying i love this shot where he where fujiko is like backing backing away in a dress with like her hands out in front and he's like trying to claw forward like that could have been the image for the movie oh man yeah for something anyway like i would love to have that as a poster (laughs) like that looks so good that would give me some nightmares it looks so good though yeah um this the slow dread yeah exactly like he's shambling toward you and like you're moving away as fast as you can given that your brain is kind of like not processing everything right now exactly uh and, and, it, and brains, it's also well hang on a second because <laughs> sure the, the whole film has been emphasizing about how mamo has sacrificed his humanity in order to preserve it like in one of the yes in one of the tonal beats that I think actually works really well, they set up that contrast between him and Lupin. Lupin lives for the moment, and so he's really living. Mamo is trying to artificially extend his lifetime, so he's not living. That's mm-hmm. all great. I'm, I'm pretty into that. And it's so emphasized by his alien-like presence at the end here, when he's, like, melting and, like, shambling. Like, he's so not human anymore. Yeah, ab- absolutely, and just the idea of trying to grab something, like grasp a goal, and because of that, you you fall. It, it reminded me a little bit of the father ending of like encountering truth at the end of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Uh, I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. Well, there's this there's this guy who's like basically trying to attain godhood by using alchemy, mm-hmm. and he just can't quite reach it. And he gets, like, slapped yeah. down by reality. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. But yeah, uh, like you said, the Metroid comparison is super appropriate because <laughs> Mother that Brain was a clone too. Fucking... <laughs> yeah. Walls but... lift up to reveal the real Mamo. Uh, like too giant brain. Too many climaxes in this movie. They try to God they, damn it. they try to do this too many times, and this is so tonally inappropriate with what Lupin is. And not only is it a giant brain, it's a giant brain on the tip of a missile. <laughs> Like I like that I like that if it's a giant brain, it better goddamn be on a missile. But <laughs> I didn't work this hard and come this far not to be on a giant missile. With like no protection around it. It's just a glass dome. Yeah, Lupin just keeps running at it and getting slammed back. We see a tiny the, like, smirk force. on Lupin's face before the missile starts firing. And this is like the whole question for most of the movie was, is Mamo for real? Is he just a psycho billionaire? Is he a god? What is he? Yeah. And I had... And this is such a cop-out. I had just gotten, like, used to the idea of, like, no, Mamo is just a con man. He's just tricking Lupin into thinking he's all-powerful. This is all gonna blow uh-huh. up in his face. And then they play it straight? Like, I, I just got over how the movie might not be as supernatural as I feared it was, and then they pull out fucking Mother Brain on me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just and so... Like, I feel betrayed. It's... It's hard because the rest of the movie was so good. Yeah. Or at least I, most of I mean, it. I, like, there were, there's there were some pacing issues. Blocks. There's a couple of scenes that don't need to be there. Zenigata certainly could have had, like, a more active, like, participatory role in the plot. But the rest of the movie has been a good Lupin movie. And and this is not a Lupin movie. It's, it's, like, this bit. It's barely a movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's trying very hard to be 2001. Yeah, I got, I, got, I got 2001 shades as well um so you agree. We get that brain floating in space scene mm-hmm. um it turns out lupon managed to attach an explosive to the missile before it left um and he just destroys it like it explodes in space and the brain falls into the sun this is very and this 2001 takes, and it takes forever it does but i kind of like that part i like the i like given that they made mamo this brain that was trying to ascend to godhood to have him die in the coldness of space, it feels very appropriate. Like, given his godlike ambition, like, him meeting his demise in the coldness of eternity, which he, like, purports to try to attain, that felt appropriate. If, I would agree with you, if it wasn't a giant brain, but, like, the real Mamo, not a clone or whatever, or even, like, clone prime or whatever, mm-hmm. in the missile spaceship or whatever... And then it still explodes. You still see him. Because, like, that face that we've wanted to punch the whole movie, <laughs> that's the closure I need. Yeah. I don't need this Star Fox stuff. The, uh, I, would, I wonder how the last act would have handled if, instead of a big brain, they actually had a, a, a space kind of, like, they, they kind of had, like, a fight on a space station. And, yeah. like, like, a zero-G battle, almost. Well, Maybe not I a think... battle, but, like... No, missiles missiles and nukes were his thing. I think this was appropriate. It's just the brain that gets me. Mm. I don't know. I, I, I don't understand why he's going into space, so it kind of doesn't make sense to me. He's like, I'm, you know, I'm nuking the world. I'm going somewhere else. I'll come back and get you, Lupin, but <laughs> yeah, I'll get like, you. There's, there's parts of this that seem good, and the rest of it just isn't. There's 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 things that he could have that they could have done to make this a better 
denouement. Right. Well, and then we get the sort of ending, and it's a bit of a mess. Yeah, so um, a little bit. I, I like that there's this, this line that Fujiko has that she's like, when I said that I possibly loved you earlier, because that did happen, when they were like trying to toy with Mamo in front of his face, because uh-huh. they're assholes, uh, Fujiko says, what I really meant was yes. When I when when Lupin asked when he, when if she loved him, and that's a nice way to round out the whole humanity is living in the moment without doubts thing that Lupin's been going on with. And yeah. it's a nice contrast to how Fujiko generally is with Lupin, which is duplicitous and you know very playing hard to get. And that was nice, and I would have enjoyed the closure, but the series was going to continue, and she needed to betray him again. That's true. So. Yeah. We see her, I, um, you know, after the explosion. I, I I also wanted to mention when yeah, uh, yeah. when Fujiko says yes, Lupin confirms that he already knows <laughs> that like, she come loves on, him. We gotta go. <laughs> well, I I love that he already knows it because we we've kind of gotten gotten this impression that she's his big blind spot, but uh-huh. that's not the case. Like he knows that she's gonna continue betraying him, and he just doesn't care. Because uh-huh. he knows that there's love underneath it, and he knows that that's that just defines what he has to do. Like, there's this weird, like, very not this weird, like, this very like um, profound self assuredness to his character. Like, even in the moments of doubt, even when he's being made a fool of, he still is acting appropriately. Maybe I'm too naive because I thought that you know she was gonna go, you know, turn straight or whatever, and and stick with him and so when he said like i know that i thought that was more contingent on the way that she had been recently in not betraying him um but i guess you're right like in terms of the entire series like there's there must be love i I think you can take it either way um i really like their relationship and i like it in the framework of this movie so that did a lot for me but it i can also see it taking it another another way yeah. Anyway, um, as you were saying. Yeah, so we see her, after the, a bunch of explosions, we see her lifelessly draped over some rubble, and Lupin goes to help her, and Senegata just <laughs> comes out of the ground. I love it. And, and cuffs Lupin and himself together. Like, this movie just pulls out of its tail spiral right at the end. Um, and, like, he would have arrested Fujiko if she had said anything. Like, she had to trick him one last time. Like, on what grounds would he have arrested her? Because he's not on the force anymore. Here's where it gets weird. <laughs> uh, Lupin still has to get a kiss in. <laughs> Zenikata's oh, like, man, I oh, forgot about this oh, moment. Gross. You're right. And they have that little romantic moment. <laughs> and he takes off her... Like, he slips her dress off so he can touch her nipple, and he presses it, and around the world, a bunch of military leaders press nuke buttons. Great. <laughs> uh, but they're all just landing on that area, so it's destroyed. Yep. But the three of them survive anyway, as Jigen comes by to save them, but only Fujiko manages to grab the rope, and Lupin and Zenigata have to three-legged yeah. race their way away from the explosions. That's so great. And then, and, they, and then we zoom in on Goaban saying contradiction is his destiny, and then the film oh ends. Oh god, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like, this is such a mess these last few minutes. I love that it's a mess, though. Like, I don't know if you agree with me, but the fact that it's a mess is very Lupin. I just didn't know what to do with it. I love how... Why did he, why did he just, like... 
sneakily manage a kiss so that he could poke her boob and why did that launch the missiles because that's just what he is and it, like i i didn't think that it actually launched the missiles i think that was just like fortuitous timing but it's still stupid it's stupid but it's lupine <laughs> stupid yeah and i love how during the three-legged race they like give each other kind of a knowing look like okay guy we, we have more important things to do let's do this buddy Zenigata calls him buddy. And they like have their arms around each other. It's great. <laughs> and that's how it how, that's how the credits play out. They They're running away from of, explosions. <laughs> interspersed with like images of the rest of the movie that happened. Yeah. But like the, they clearly want us to have that image of them running away from the Dude, I do. tied together I do have as our image. final thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I, I thought that that ending was really appropriate. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I uh, so like, <laughs> like let, let's 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 wrap this up. Uh, this movie had some problems, <laughs> and like, okay, so like, let's 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 list them down from most to least offensive. Sci-fi fantasy stuff, supernatural garbage. They really went too far with mm-hmm. um like we, we've already said it so we won't harp on it unless you want to but i, I think no, that's fine i think that uh, it's this was not like the climax that it needed to have yeah next up bizarre ending just because like i would have been fine with it if i didn't need huge amounts of closure from what had just happened so maybe we'll lump that in yeah i like i mean i i, I kind of put them all together in one in one thing um Next up, Goemon. Goemon is not as bad of a fe- an offender as I thought the pacing was, but oh I, yeah, yeah. Like I agree that Goemon is like kind of irrelevant in this movie. Yeah, the second act fake out. It, it doesn't seem like he needs to be. Like he doesn't not fit with Lupin, but he just doesn't fit with James Bond. Right. Um. um so the crass crass sexualization's got to be up there. It, it's it's in there. There's definitely there's definitely a point of that. Um, Hitler. Lupin says, Heil mein Führer. Uh, I had forgotten about that moment. Um, <laughs> which, in and of itself, is not great, but I do like that he's quick-witted enough to try to ingratiate himself to Hitler when he sees him. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, those are the main problems with this movie. But yeah. in and its favor, like, this has that good old Lupin goodness, like, silly over-the-top action scenes to jazz, which is really great constant escalation of the stakes um and of like within a car chase yeah yeah witty and sarcastic characters especially uh, jegan i really liked. i like jegan's place in this like it, he didn't get a lot of focus but when he did show up it was very emblematic of their relationship that sh- it showed a lot of what they're about mm-hmm. um i really liked the the battle of you know ethics and like lifestyle choices between um between Lupin, and Lupin Mamo. Mamo, and Fujiko. Yeah, yeah. So that, like, I'm... The, a good theme will go so much farther for me than most people, so, like, that sustained me. Yeah. Um, but I, I can understand why that wouldn't be as big of a deal for other people. And we had... we Oh, another weakness, Zenigata wasn't really in the plot, but strength, he was prominently in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he showed up oh, a lot. I love, I love that one scene where he's just, just Zenigata's lament. 
I just love the beginning. Yeah. Where he drives up to Castle Dracula. I think the, the beginning sequence is probably the best the movie gets, unfortunately. Mm. But, uh, you know, it, it's pretty solid overall. Yeah. It just has, like, this third act breakdown and misunderstanding of what it should be doing. I was really hoping that that supernatural kick was going to turn out to be Smoke and Mirrors. I know, like the me first, too. Like the first Sherlock movie. It's, like first, it's uh, you know, like, not only modern. is it better within the movie, it's better for the context of the universe. And it's just a better story as that well. True. Yeah, that yeah. true. That true. <laughs> so what, what do you think about Lupin right now? Like, as a franchise, as a character, what? The more I see of him, the more I like him. He, he sticks. Yeah, like, he's, um... Lovable rogue archetype is, is really strong. And I'm going to recommend yeah, that you read I, those Discworld books with, uh... Oh, I would... I've, I've been meaning to read Discworld forever. So, uh, a general recommendation for anybody who kind of digs that sort of thing, or the lovable rogue archetype, um, the two that focus on it are Going Postal and Making Money. And you uh-huh. can read them in either order. They both make sense, but Going Postal is the first one. Right. Um, I think for Lupin, it's been so long running and enduring, and it's been in the hands of so many different creators that you're going to see some uh, deviation in terms of what they're trying to do with it. Yeah. But overall, it's a character that has high marks, good quality stories, and like the backing of people who want to see it work. Yeah, agreed. Like, there's a lot of love in this. And I think, you know, I haven't seen a ton of Lupin stuff. I think that this holds up in there. This is one of its more respectable movies, I think, like, from the from what I've heard reception-wise. I mean, it's got four different English dubs. It has to be doing something right. Right, and, and like, I think it's generally inferior to Castle of Cagliostro, but it's not that much inferior. It's still pretty mm-hmm. good, and I enjoyed watching it. I, I, do you think that this movie would be better or worse upon repeated viewing? Repeated viewing, as in, if I were to watch it again, yeah, probably worse. I would think. Like a lot of what hit me in this first time was the spectacle of it, like that fireball thing hitting Mamo from reflected lasers. Yeah. Um, the the image of the alien kind of Mamo alien shambling forward toward Fujiko. Um, you know, that, that intro sequence with him in the coffin and standing upside down and then flying away in a bat thing? Like, a lot of it is surprise jokes that I didn't expect to happen or, like, gut punches. Right. And so repeat viewing, probably not. I, I think I might enjoy it um, watching a different dub just to see, you know, how it's been taken over the years. But I, I agree. Or maybe even um, the original sub. Even even Castle Cagliostro, I remember I've seen it twice and I don't remember it very well from either time, but I do remember liking it much better the first time. Okay, yeah, I think so. I, I don't it know what it times, is, but you might be right. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I I, I should go off and uh, watch some more of them. Yeah, well, th- th- that this was our discussion of a Lupin the Third movie. I I think this is a really cool franchise, both, um both in terms of its content and also what it says about, like, Japanese culture. Like, they have an appreciation for this spy or lovable rogue archetype. Yeah. It's sort of their answer to James Bond, I guess. And, um, you know, it's yeah. it's it's really good. It's good. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. It sort of empty calories, and there's some garbage in the third act. The third course is, 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 kind, of, is kind of rotten, but, you know. Yeah. Anyway... Uh, I think that's all I got. Yeah. Uh, what are what are we watching next time? I forgot. 
Okay. We have a guess. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, next time. Oh, we're, we're doing the uh, original Popeye, right? Uh, that's actually coming out before this you one. You got it. So cut that out. You got it. Uh, so wait. Johnny Quest. So next time we are uh, watching Johnny Quest and we will be having mm-hmm. a guest on for that. Johnny Guest. Johnny Guest is coming on. Um, that true. He goes... He, he comes from the Amusement Sparks podcast. His name is Andrew, and I'm very excited to have him on. Yes. Um, and what about after that? Um, after that, I wanted to do something um, from after 2000, just because we've been doing a lot of older stuff recently. Um, and I wanted to get maybe a, a spattering of a lot of different things. Um, so we are going to watch Disney's House of Mouse. I don't know what that is. It's a like a clip. Also, show. another uh, another mouse show, Zane. <laughs> oh shit! I forgot. I forgot we've been watching a lot of mice. <laughs> That's okay. No, um, it's it's actually very little to do with uh, Mickey Mouse specifically. It's like um, it's kind of like Kablam or um, oh okay. You know, one of those shows where they have a bunch of different clips of other things. Sure, like world's um, funniest home videos. Yeah, so Disney characters in shorts you know in the modern times okay i I remember it being pretty good all right i mean i've never heard of it so it's hard for me to judge but uh i'll give it a shot all right yeah i'm more looking forward to johnny quest specifically because of my love with adventure brothers well if uh you are interested in johnny quest or the mystery of mouse uh you can write into us about the mystery of of mouse Uh, it's a pun on this movie's title and the house of can you explain it I could. <laughs> I really don't wanna. What if you please, explained please it by way me. of a giant brain? Ben, if you think about it, this podcast is how we will become immortal. <clears throat> also, robots. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, in a strange way, like this, we are the Lupin of this podcast in that we're not doing it to become immortal. We're doing it because we enjoy it. Can can anyone ever really die? <laughs> Zane, yes. Zane, what are you doing? <laughs> I, I can anyone ever really die? <laughs> Is um, it really murder to kill a man? Yeah, so uh, check us out on Facebook or at our website, cartoncast.com. Leave us a rating or review on iTunes if you want to support us. And more than anything else, tell your friends about the show. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and go watch Gravity Falls, apparently. Lupin, <laughs> <laughs> More like Lupin the Turd. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> Some derisive asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Nip slip.